The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. Uh, it is, uh, let's see, it is the 12th of April. Um, we have been hockey deprived for way too long. Um, how are you and holding I'm, up? I, I, I'm holding up pretty good, but I'm about to prove that we've been holding out way too long. Yesterday morning, I was, uh, I don't know, like every other morning, trying to figure out what to do with not leaving the house. And on the on Nesson, they were showing, I believe it was 2010 Beanpot Final, and of course it's BC versus BU. Yep. And it was just amazing to me the names on these rosters. And I know we've talked about it in the past, but just how many of these names. We're looking at Boston University had Shattenkirk and Colby Cohen and Nick Benino, and there was another defenseman. And oh, David Warsawski. Not that yep. he played much in the NHL, but still, Neither the point did Cohen, is, that, but still, they played. The the point is that you, you go to these teams, and then on BC you've got Brian Dumoulin, and 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 it's. I'm watching some of these teams, and Parker Milner was the backup that year. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just it. it it just puts a fine point on the whole northeast and middle, the central, middle, north, whatever you want to call it, Detroit or Michigan, Minnesota area. And it, the talent that comes out of here year after year is just it's staggering. And that was just two of the four teams. Back then, yep. there wasn't as much talent coming out of Northeastern or BU. Uh, yeah. UMass Lowell probably pumped out one or two, but it's just, it, it was just staggering to me was I was watching the, and it was just about the end of the game and BU was down four to one and all three, all three goals scored by BU were all scored by defensemen. And yeah. <laughs> I, and I was just, I was just sitting there, sitting there, just watching it and going, wow, the names that come out of these, you can click on almost any bean pot in the last, two decades and you'd have a handful of NHL starters and stars. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's, it's amazing. Uh, and in fact, I would be willing to bet that there's not been a beanpot game played in the last 15 years that didn't have one player in it who has played at least 25 NHL games. I would be inclined to agree. Just like I said, I, I, not trying to get into a topic. Just it, wanted to get that off my head. That I, I just I was. I know that we watch it, and we've gone the past few years, and and we've seen the younger players that are just getting into the NHL now. But to go back and see guys like Dumoulin and Shattenkirk, and they're still in their college unis. It's just like, and Nick Benino is another one. I just, yeah, okay, I remember them then. I remember. Them. <laughs> Uh, it is, uh, I mean, the, the bean pot for all that it's a local tradition, it has national implications. Uh, guys uh, on those squads get drafted because they're playing in the bean pot. We've met Vancouver scouts there. We've seen scouts from some of the other organizations. It's, it's not a local event. Um, I mean, you can call it a regional event if you really, really want to, but it has national or international 
implications because there's a guys. Lo- no, I was just going to say it's a local regional event in terms of the fact that, yes, it's played here in one area. It's not a national tournament by any stretch. But on the other hand, you are absolutely correct. It has national implications. These guys are going to go on from here and and uh, not a not a too small percentage of them have opportunities uh, ahead of them in the NHL or, or in some some form of, of higher hockey level than the college level they're playing at currently. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, it, it's it's a dress rehearsal. It, it, I mean, this is it, how many scouts did we run into when we've gone to Bean Pots and we we've, when we've gone to when we went to the the regionals of the NCAA tournament. This is, I mean, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a dress rehearsal. It's a, it's a, it's a time to show off what you can do and you're showing it off against other top tier talent. It's not like, it's not like you're showing it off against uh, some school that has never played hockey before and they're just getting their, their organization going, their, their, their team going, that type of thing. No, this is, this is. At worst, heavyweights and middleweights, and frequently heavyweights and heavyweights uh, going at it for all they're worth. Especially now with the with the 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 ascension of Northeastern University having won it three years in a row now, and the fact that Harvard Northeastern is still- in the last seven or eight years is arguably the best team uh, in hockey East. But even no, even Harvard, in in uh, even Harvard under Teddy Donato has they're not the they're not the the kick plate anymore. They're not the fourth. They're not just the fourth team in the tournament. They they get out there and they put up a fight. Whether they whether they're winning or not, they're not the they're not the doormats. No. Um. They are in Hockey East. I don't know why I doubted that. Uh, it's Harvard that's the outsider. Right. Harvard's ECAC, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. Um, it would be nice to see. <clears throat> I, I I honestly think hockey as a whole, college hockey, needs more of these tournaments. I would love to see other parts of, uh, other parts of the Hockey East uh, community dive in for a tournament, whether it's... Uh, how about a how about a regional uh, tournament that included Maine, UNH, uh, Merrimack, and UMass Lowell? I'm trying uh, to think. Of, I'm trying to think of how. I mean, logistically, Maine. A little. I Maine, mean, it's a, Maine it's a, it's a it, is a hike. It's certainly it's certainly a wider ranging area than the Beanpot, which all the schools are within what eight miles of each other or something. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can legitimately walk from Brookline, uh, into actual Boston. Uh, the far, the far out one being what Cambridge, <laughs> Harvard. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, well, no, actually, I mean, I would have to look at them at a map, but I mean, BC and Northeastern are, you know, close enough for, uh, domestic violence. And, uh, Interesting. Okay. Interesting way to look at it. 
Uh, but the other, uh, but the other two are are outliers. Um, for that matter, I, I've said a couple of times that I thought like a Vermont, UMass Amherst, um, and maybe what is it, Clarkson and uh, oh god, uh, American International. Uh, those four uh, four colleges in that region um, might make for an interesting tournament just to bring more attention to the area. I think it's a good idea. I mean, it's it's something that college football has done. I mean, in college football, there are rivalries. There, there's mm-hmm. there's the little brown jug between Michigan and Minnesota. They play each other. They play each other every other year, and the little brown jug has been around for like a hundred years. Or, like a hundred years, like sixty years actually, but I mean the Little Brown Jug's been around forever. And their other st- the Nor- Notre Dame plays USC, and they have the the they play for the Lucky Shillelagh or something like that. There are, but lately they have been creating rivalries and creating trophies just for that specific rivalry. Iowa and Nebraska now have a rivalry, and they have a ch- a, a, a trophy that goes along with it, but it's relatively new. So why can't we do that in hockey? Drum up some interest and create uh, some excitement around a new tournament. It does. I mean, I, yeah, the bean pot's been around forever, but that doesn't mean we can't have other regional tournaments. Uh, no, and I think I've said more than once that I think college is, in a lot of ways, the best entry uh, for new fans to hockey. You're getting a reasonably high level and speed of play, but it's not as fast as the NHL. So you're not getting the, you're not getting, uh, it's not a blur. An NHL game played at NHL speed with reasonably healthy teams is fast. You um, you have to know hockey well enough to have a really good idea where the puck is going to go, or at least the two or three possibilities. Um, College hockey, you can usually follow along at a more leisurely pace, and you don't necessarily run into uh, crowds that are quite as, um, say, earthy as we encountered at the uh, ECHO. No, I, but that's that was going to be my point. Is it, yeah, if you jump in at the college level, you're not losing. I mean without losing a little bit of speed, you're not losing anything for the atmosphere. I mean, if you go, the crowds are into it because it's mostly student body. Oh yeah. But the crowds, but the crowds are into it. Uh, You get caught up in the moment, you get excited. You're not going to lose the experience. You're not going to lose out on the experience just by going to a college game. It, It is still quite the entertaining experience. I mean, have, like we said, having having gone to many college games ourselves, yeah, they they, <laughs> they get whipped up into a frenzy. And if you can find another tournament or create another tournament and and get some sort of rivalry out of it, it it's only going to generate interest all the more. Um, ama- <clears throat> amazing how we're. Uh, 12 minutes into the show and haven't actually touched any of our official topics yet. Um, that wasn't my point. I was just trying to yeah, expand on life. Happens. Uh, that life is happening. <laughs> um, so I never got to ask, how are you doing? 
I am largely bored to tears. Um, well, yes, there's no hockey on. I get that. Unless there's no hockey watch. on. Um, I have watched some of my favorite movies um, uh, a couple of times. Yeah. And I've done a whole bunch of uh, fiction reading. Um, I think I might actually survive, uh, probably. No, I'm actually pretty good. Uh, I got out uh, a couple of times this week, and I really just need to start uh, being more physically active somehow, and I'll be fine. Um, and that's as close as we're going to get to the unmentioned normal. topic. Yeah. Um, on a unfortunate, very unfortunate note, uh, former Ed, uh, former Boston Bruin and Edmonton Oiler uh, Colby Cave has passed away. Um, he this was hospitalized. Uh, sorry about that. He was hospitalized for a brain bleed, and they performed surgery to do a uh, to remove a cyst that was putting pressure on his brain. Um, it did not work out and he has passed 25 years old. It just, I don't ever recall them mentioning that he had any kind of, and, and not that they're in any way supposed to tell us, but it, usually you hear when like a player, like, uh, like the hall of famer here in Boston, um, you, you over, Charlie, you, over time you find out if they have like a Charlie has a the- Charlie has a heart issue. Yeah, it, 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 I don't ever remember hearing about any kind of issues with Colby. I mean, no, it, this one did take me by surprise. Um, and this is a guy who he was undrafted. He bought and clawed his way into the NHL. He got to play for. Two storied franchises. I mean, Boston Bruins and the Edmonton Oilers between them have a good number of cups, a whole lot of playoff history. Um, And you know what? He did pretty well. Um, I. I. Yeah, I can't. I can't find anything to criticize about him. When he was lost on waivers from Boston to Toronto uh, to Edmonton, I was really disappointed. I mean, I understood why it happened, and I was glad for him that someone wanted him and he was going to get more uh, NHL opportunities. But uh, as as a fan, um, I had talked about his progression over the previous two seasons into his last games in Boston uh, more than once. I'm pretty certain we mentioned him here on the show around that time. Um, I, I, he will be missed by, by fans in, uh, I just have to give my best wishes to his family and friends. I agree. I mean, this is a kid, this is a kid who, and at 25, yeah, still a kid. And, wife family he will be missed i mean everywhere he's been all reports he's always been a a well-liked player well-liked teammate no he wasn't a quote-unquote superstar he he, you know he didn't put the puck in the net with uh, reckless abandon but this is a kid who was out there 
doing everything he could to further his career. He he got into 11 games this season with Edmonton. Uh, He played 44 games in Bakersfield. 23 points. It's still a half a point a game. Uh, I mean, he's... He's he always was doing been everything that was expected of him. Yeah, and for this to happen to somebody so young is is unexpected and shocking. And our condolences go out to Emily, his wife, and his family. Uh, one of a former teammate, Matt Grizzly of the Boston Bruins, uh, tweeted, um, and I'll read that in full. Uh, devastating news today. Gonna miss the infectious smile, uh, that infectious smile of yours, Caver. Thankful I got to live with you in Providence and see firsthand your hard work and dedication to hockey. You taught me more uh, than you know, but the best part was you were an even better person, Rip Colby. Uh, for those of you who don't follow him on Twitter, Matt Grizzlick is not the most active tweeter uh, on the planet. In fact, his previous tweet. Uh, from 22 hours ago as of this recording uh, was March 1st, and uh, the one before that was February 4th, um, and then we're back into November. Um, So for him to make a clear effort and eloquent tribute to a a friend, uh, it's genuine. Um, He's not someone who lives on Twitter and tweets 400 times an hour about everyone uh, and I, I've seen other statements. This one stuck with me simply because of the rarity of him, of Grizzly taking any sort of public stance or making any sort of commentary. It just tells me that clearly Colby touched him on more than just a teammate level. Yes. Um, I, I, I genuinely hope uh, for the best for all of his family. And this is, this is all, I mean, I hope uh, all I can say now is I really, really hope that, um, some good comes of this and that maybe we make a better study of brain injuries and cysts and can detect them earlier, uh, and better so that less people lose their family at, so young in age because this was not an injury situation where you know there was head trauma involved this was don't feel good off to the hospital and never leaving yeah i I second that i concur this is like i said surprising shocking somebody somebody taken this young and with little to no advance warning, as far as we can tell. I mean, there's nothing reported on the actual no. injury, but it seemed it would seem like this was uh, quite uh, came out of left field. I guess is the best. Yeah, way. I mean, it it appears that this was like three or four days total uh, for a 25 year old to go from vital athlete to not present. I would be inclined to agree. It brings the it brings things into perspective. <laughs> and um, I know we say that I know we say that about you know other 
other times that it's happened, but it brings the it, it definitely brings things into perspective. Um I think we can leave that topic there. There's not really much I want to talk uh, more I want to talk about it. Um uh, to change gears a little tiny bit, um, we have talked about our three-on-three -three, uh, setup uh, discussion for, oh God, four weeks at this point. Um, and today we're actually going to do it. Um, so it, it was three weeks ago. <laughs> uh, but I think we talked about doing it four weeks ago, uh, okay. the original setup. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so, Chris... Yeah. Start off with uh, the defenseman on your first team. Uh, oh, I should reiterate the rules for people while you're grabbing you your notes. Um, our three-on-three -three rules, pretty straightforward. First one, no two players from the same team. No players who had more than 30 goals for forwards or eight goals for defensemen. Build two teams. We'll talk about them, post them to Twitter. And no player can be used twice. Um, that eliminates a lot of the superstars in the NHL. Um, but I think that there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of interesting players who don't get the headlines of the McDavid's and the, uh, and the Krug's and the, um, Petrangelo's. My first, uh, my first defenseman. All yep. right. Neil Pionk. Ooh, that is not a name I anticipated hearing today. Um, so my first one is actually uh, Adam Fox. Interesting. Uh, interesting. I, I hadn't quite gotten that far yet. I was uh, I wanted I, of course, wanted Kel McCarr because yep. I'm, I, I ever since seeing him play in the tournament last year I, I became a fan and then what he managed to do in the playoffs but obviously his goal scoring ability has ruled him out of this tournament so I same started same. looking for I started looking for guys who have the ability to move the puck I mean this isn't just a it's three on three so you've got to be more than you got to be more in a stay-at-home defenseman. I mean, yeah, yes. eventually they roll out the stay-at-home. Eventually, we, like the Bruins, they roll out a Brandon Carlo, but they don't start with him. No. Um, and, but well, Adam Neil, Fox, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, but Neil Neil has six goals, 39, 39 assists on the season. I mean, this is a guy who clearly Winnipeg targeted when they traded, when they traded Jacob Truba. They wanted to make sure they were getting something back in return of, of maybe not the same or equal caliber, but he's putting up numbers that make it make this trade more viable for, for Winnipeg. I mean, losing Trouba was not, no small feat, but this guy's making Winnipeg forget about Jacob. And the reason I picked Fox is he's doing it without a huge amount of superstars around him. Um, at I, least on defense. There, well, I'm not even. I mean, there's a couple of good forwards on that on the Rangers team uh, that I do actually like. I mean, you've got uh, Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, 
and uh, Chris Kreider, all of whom, I mean, you've got uh, in reverse order, you've got 24, 41, and 32 goals. Um, another name in that 2010 tournament, by the way. <laughs> but beyond that, eh. Not yeah, there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of of guys auditioning. Guys. It would seem like it would seem like they're auditioning. I mean, they've got a lot of youth. Uh, I I realize they're in a rebuild mode of sorts, I, or at least I would guess. And but Adam Fox clearly at the start of the season, not so much. But as the season has gone on, he has really left his mark on that defense. He wasn't. He wasn't really there. Like Kill McCarr, if, if you want, and they're both from the Northeast here. That's why I compare them. Uh, one being UMass, one being uh, where the heck was Kale from? Uh, Northeast. Uh, Harvard. Was he Harvard? One was Harvard. One was UMass. I think Kale was Harvard. Harvard. Uh, uh, no, Fox was Harvard. Kale McCarr was UMass Amherst. Okay. And. Seeing them both, and when we saw them in the tournament, the, it was clear that they were uh, they were the two step, best defense, two best players on the above the, the players that were out there. It was clear. But when they got to the NA, when when Fox got to the NHL, yes, Kale McCarr had the playoff experience, and I'm assuming and the familiarity that, yeah, with his teammates, familiarity. But Adam Fox, it took him it took him a good month, month and a half. But once he got going, yeah, he's he's clearly uh, rising that cream rising to the top there on the on the Rangers defense. And the other factor there, I think, is just the feeling in the room. The Colorado Avalanche in September knew they were a playoff quality team. Yes. The Rangers. We're hoping not to be in the bottom five. There are people in the locker room who will tell you that they firmly believe that they're a playoff team, a competitive team. But reality is no. Objectively speaking, there's no way you can look at that roster and say, that's a playoff team. That's a team that's going to make it out of the first round. They have a legit shot. Uh, So who's the first forward on this on this squad? Uh, well, as it's a three on three, I'm going to want a goal scorer. Uh, I'm gone. I've gone with William Nylander. No surprise there. Um, I honestly almost picked him. Almost Um, picked him. (laughs) Almost picked him for this team. Um, I do like him a lot. Um, there's really not a downside to picking him. Um, but my, uh, my guy is, uh, Kevin Hayes. Kevin Hayes. Wait, wait, wait. Kevin, Kev Hayes. Oh, by the way, speaking of which, Jimmy Hayes, his brother, also in that tournament. Um, 23 goals, 18 assists for the Philadelphia, Philadelphia Flyers this year. But it's Kevin Hayes. I mean, he's a big body with great reach. Uh, he skates well. Right wing, left uh, shot. I don't know. OK, I. And with all the reach between him and uh, and Fox. Uh, oh, Fox is smaller than I thought, but still. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's not. A, he's not. We're not talking six foot four here. 
No, but Adam Fox. Kansas is 6'5", 216, and he can still move. He can still protect the puck. And that was one of the things I wanted uh, because, yes. because Fox isn't necessarily huge. Okay. You realize that one of the rules in, in this tournament is that if you take Kevin Hayes, you have to take Jimmy, too. I don't see that in the rules list. <laughs> is that, like, written in white print? Because I must have missed it. It's written in, like, this this odd, you have to rub it with, like, with like lemon juice to make it appear. Oh, so it's written with an, an invisible white pixels on the internet. Good to know. <laughs> If you're Maybe gonna I take could, Kevin, like burn a candle under it, and that will make the uh, letters. That appear. might work too. Yes, you need some yeah. sort of heat. Yes, to make the reagent work. Okay. Good to know. Uh, and, so, and in case you haven't seen the movie National Treasure, <laughs> it, you pl- you have plenty of time right now. It's actually worth it. Um, so Kevin Hayes, Adam Fox, you got a thing for Rangers players? Okay. No, no, no. Well, Adam Fox is actually a Winnipeg player. I mean. Kevin Hayes is a Winnipeg player right now, so. Yes, but he was a Ranger. No, no, no. He went, from, he went to Winnipeg and then to Philadelphia. Uh, and that was his ride uh, pulling out both times. Yeah, well, no. the first time he was heading off to the, the likes of Winnipeg, and the second time, yes, he was heading off to Philly. So, um, Adam Fox. Third forward, or second forward. My my second forward completing the first three on three here. Well, we're gonna need somebody who also can put the puck in the net, but can set everything up. Uh, but somebody who, more importantly, may or may not win a faceoff. Uh, not the greatest faceoff percentage, but Jack Eichel. Ooh, that one's interesting. I I can't complain about the pick. Um, Jack Eichel, if you pull up, if you, he is Buffalo right now. Yes. When he's not there, they clearly miss him. This is a guy who can not only score, but can move the puck. Uh, like I said, not the, not the greatest in the faceoff circle, but not an embarrassment. And he's one of, he's probably... In the top three on his team, as far as two-way forwards, I, I I couldn't. Um, wait, hold on, stop. I actually do have to complain about this pick. He oh, had okay. more than thirty goals this year. Uh, he had thirty-six. Right, he was under thirty-eight. When did it become thirty? Um, I could have sworn it was always thirty. No. Yes, that says three-zero. But, I, I mean, I forget that your vision is perfect. It so is let perfect. Me... Go ahead. It is perfect. I'm trying to figure out when it became 30. It was always 30. Nope. I wouldn't have picked him. Clearly, he's six goals above 30. It's not like I made a mistake and went, well, you know, he scored that last goal just before it, the stoppage. It, no, it I wouldn't have picked him if he's that high above the threshold unless I thought the threshold was different. We talked about this. If you would like, I will pick yet another center. Because uh, I'm looking at the tweet from March 29th, and it still also shows 30 goals. 
Okay, then. Fine. I mean, I love Jack Eichel, but... Well, in that case, then... I'll give we'll you just... my second forward. Uh, Go ahead. You're searching. Uh, um, my, uh, my second forward is actually Brock Nelson. Probably who I would have picked. I like Brock Nelson. I've liked him a lot. I mean, this is a guy who has been playing in the shadow. I mean, he's been playing in the shadow of a, of a John Tavares. And once Tavares decided to go home, we finally get to see what Brock Nelson was all about. He's a strong two-way player. He's decent in the face-off circle um, when he needs to be. I know that he can also play the wing position, which he's had to do. I, there's not a whole lot to dislike about Brock and Nelson. Pretty, pretty consistent too. I mean, you look at his last couple of seasons. Sixty. This was this was fitting to be his best. Uh, well, actually, it was his best points per uh, point season. Um, he had 26, 28, and 54 this year, uh, passing the 53 he put up in 20 in all 82 last year. This guy was going to score 30, 35, and hit 62, 68, maybe even 70 points this year. Um, mm-hmm. But last year it was 25. The year before was a little bit of a down year at 19. One more year back at 16, 17, he's at 20. Before that, 26. Uh, before that, 22. Um, and his first year in the NHL, he still had 14 goals uh, on not much ice time. Uh, War Road, Minnesota has been done proud. Um, I I can't wait to see what he does next year um, or with the rest of this year. Okay. So as I as I completely messed up with uh, with Eichel, apparently. Uh, I'm still going to file that under protest, but we'll let that go for now. Mm-hmm. So so we're going to sit him on the bench, and we're going to bring in a an, an youngster because I like youngsters as well. I will uh, be your coach. Braden Point. Uh, there is nothing to complain about about Braden Point. Braden Point, 25 goals on the season, total of 64 points. Uh, I realize he plays in Tampa Bay, but uh, this is a kid who is a plus 28. And he's over 50% of the faceoff circle. Give him space on the ice. Give him a guy like Nylander who can score. And Braden Point doesn't have to do everything while he's on the ice because he clearly he can set up plays as well as score on his own. Uh, he's also a physical player. I mean, he's he's not Milan Lucic by any stretch, but he's I've seen him hit, and he's not afraid to make contact. And you put him with a guy like Pionk who can also uh, – Set set up players, and I think I got a pretty good trio there. It is not bad at all. Um, uh, and how about, uh, I guess since you started with the first trio, I guess I can start with the second. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, we're both familiar with. Um, I think that this guy, when he's on his A game, he is one of the most entertaining forwards in the league, um, capable of a solid 200-foot game, um, underrated hands, and at least reasonable feet. Is this a defenseman? <laughs> Absolutely not. This is a forward. Oh, okay. I thought we were starting with the defenseman. All right, go ahead. Uh, no, I 
decided to go in order this time. All right, uh, go ahead. The one, the only, Vegas Golden Knight, Riley Smith. Yeah, we can't complain about Agent Smith. How are you going to complain about Agent Smith? <laughs> Seriously, uh, we've we've seen him here in Boston. Uh, again, he's a guy who's not afraid of the corners, not afraid of being plugged in front of the net, but clearly has the hands that make him capable of, of looking just as flashy skating down the slot. Uh, 200-foot player. He plays on the penalty kill. He plays on the power play. I, yeah, there's nothing to complain about with Riley Smith. Absolutely. So uh, who's the first name in your trio? Uh, well, he's a little bit more recognizable, or maybe not so much. I needed a center, but this is a guy who, uh, yeah, I really like this guy. I've liked this guy since his days on the East Coast, but he's currently not on the East Coast. Uh, J.T. Miller. J.T. Miller, when he was on the Rangers, just starting to get his recognition. They trade him off to they trade him off to Tampa Bay, where he kind of gets buried. Uh, mm-hmm. It was helpful because of the injuries that they had, but he. He kind of got buried. You didn't hear much about him. He moves on to Vancouver at the beginning of this season. And 27 goals. Anybody who tells me they expected 27 goals out of JT Miller, I'm going to have to call shenanigans on that. 45 assists. This guy has 72 points. He's also a plus 11. In the faceoff circle, 59.2%. If he can put two more seasons together like that, he legitimately deserves to be called a franchise center. He plays all three positions, though. He's not just a center. franchise player. But at at 59% in the faceoff dot, if you can do that, taking more than 25, 30% of your team's faceoffs, you belong at center full time. Well, let's see. Last, uh, Last year with Tampa Bay... He only had a 40 – last year with Tampa Bay, he only had a 49%. Um, the season before that with New York – so he was with Tampa Bay all of last year. My apologies. Uh, the year before that where he was traded from New York Rangers to Tampa Bay, faceoff percentage was 54. Uh, beyond Before that, yes, he was in the 40s. I don't think that he was taking as many faceoffs. 2013-14, he was slightly over 50. 12-13, slightly, he was 53%. It, it I don't like the, the way it tracks because it's this weird graph, but clearly he's capable of, of succeeding in the face-off circle. And part of that, part of face-off wins is the effort of your line mates, and Vancouver might not have the deepest roster in the league, but those guys are playing... Uh, up to their capabilities uh, most of the time, a significant portion of the time. Um, my number two. two. Go, ahead. go ahead. No, 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 no. I was no, I was just gonna. I I, I was gonna sing his two hundred foot praises, but he is. I mean, he's got two short-handed points. He's got Nine. three game winners. He's got one overtime goal. Uh, 
only a third of his goals have come on the power play, so he can clearly score five on five as well. Nine out of his 27. Uh, this is a guy who he he's plays in every he plays in every situation. He is. I I would love to have him on my team. Uh, there's it's really difficult to complain about adding JT Miller to a team. Are there, are there players who are significantly better at a couple of things? Yes. Are there 20 players in the league who are, are there 20 forwards in the league who are more consistent three-way players, clearly better at face-offs, clearly better at goals and assists, uh, clearly better in their own zone? It's a short list. Yes. This is a guy who we will probably see on the Selkie list going forward uh, if he gets um, if he can just garner a little bit more attention. It's um, yeah, it, well, it's where he's playing currently. Where he's playing, I mean, clearly not a top market. As much as I love Vancouver and it's a nice yes place and no. to visit, but it, I mean, he's, it's the second largest city in Canada, so it's going to get some attention i mean ryan kessler i believe got a nomination or two while he was still there so it's not impossible and with some of the players he's playing with the press is going to pay attention to what's going on there um but yeah i just based on based on pure coast to coast uh both countries attention it's not a top five market by the way in the last one two three in the last five seasons he has missed um seven games and they were all last year with tampa bay the three years prior to that 82 82 82 Uh, he's hanging his head in great shame who's your second forward he doesn't take his conditioning very uh very seriously absolutely uh my my number two for this team is someone we actually already talked about, mm-hmm. the one, the only, Braden Point. See, we do think alike. Well, that's without that goes without saying because, yeah, we've been there before. I like Braden Point. I mean, and, and I I genuinely would like to see Braden Point and Riley Smith playing together. I think that that could be a highly potent combination. Well, Braden. Braden Point and his abilities to not only uh, score but to move the puck. Riley Smith and his ability to put the puck in the net. I mean, Riley Smith is a guy who's got 27 goals. Oh, wait, and 27 assists. (laughs) And he moves through traffic really well. Like, you don't see Braden – you don't see Riley Smith get just – flat out whacked uh, like you do some other guys and he's not that fast he's just good at evading hits yeah and Braden Point uh, again young guy this is his fourth fourth season in the league and you're looking at at always improving first year 18 goals 40 points second season 32 goals 66 points last year 41 goals 92 points this year, 25 goals and 64 points, certainly on pace to uh, at least even, if not better, that 92. Uh, the plus minus has always gone up. And again, like I said, not the strongest in the faceoff dot, but has also, even season over season has improved in that area as well. 
This is a guy who's clearly trending upward. And you want to talk about uh, even strength or 200 foot? He's he doesn't have any shorthanded points this season. He's got four game winners, but he's played. He plays on the penalty kill. He had eight shorthanded points in the 17-18 season. Mm-hmm. Three goals and five assists. His again, one third of his goals scored came on the power play, so he can score five on five as well. I mean, yeah, there's not a whole lot to dislike about this kid. So okay. I can my my second player, my second forward. Yep. Well, a little bit of attitude. This is somebody who's not shy. And I was I was trying to keep away from taking players from this particular team. <laughs> Go ahead. I I tried to I didn't want to break that that break that 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 barrier, but I had to because Somebody has to include this kid, Brad Marchand. Oh, right. He doesn't have 30 goals this season, which is staggering. Somebody has to include him. Brad Marchand scores shorthanded, scores on the power play, 200-foot player. Uh, he does step in and take face-offs. I'm not going to say he's good. But, he. I mean, this is three-on-three. Three. Uh, seriously. And and he's got the attitude. He's not afraid to to, to go anywhere on the ice. He, he doesn't shy away from contact. Not that you have contact in three on three, but and he's not just a lot of it, fun, no. and he's just fun to watch. <laughs> I had to ha- I had to have him. I I didn't want to I didn't want to go Bruins and and go. I wanted to try and stay away from the hometown accusation. But you gotta have him. Oh, I mean, I I grabbed a bunch. Of, I grabbed what three New Englanders so far, uh, or New Yorkers. So, eh, whatever. Um, and third third guy on my team, um, a name that I think people, most people, are going to recognize. And if he played many other places in the league, uh, everyone would recognize. I needed a defenseman. I needed someone who could skate. Mm-hmm. I needed someone who could pass. And I needed someone who was going to be uh, – who was, who was still a rising, rising player. I wanted that – I needed some fire. Mm-hmm. Last year in 82 games, he had 31 points, 8, 23, and 31. This season in 68, 6, 30, 36, the one and only left-shooting defenseman uh, from the Carolina Hurricanes – Jacob Slavin. Nah, we all know how much I love 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 Carolina's defense. Jacob Slavin is just the 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 full package as far as what they've had down there. And when they had Slavin, pick. Jacob Slavin, ah, gotta love him. Pick. Like, Got, it, gotta it's love prob- him. It's probably too easy early to do a redraft of the of the. Uh, of the 2012 uh, entry draft, he was yeah. he was definitely definitely drafted low. You know, but he's jumping up at least two rounds. He oh, might at, not, easily. Uh, I mean, just just based on games played, um, he comes in in like the top 15. 
Um, you know, Galchenyuk and Wilson and Morgan Riley, Hampus Lindholm, uh, those guys have played the most games. I mean, those four are all over 500 point, uh, 500 games. But uh, Jakob Slavin has played 377. So it's not like he's uh, it's not like he's um, uh, faded away into nothing or took five years uh, to break uh, to break into the NHL. Um, there's a lot of guys taken ahead of him who are behind him in points in points play in games played. Uh, Shane is he, Goss is, is he not is he not number one in plus minus this year in the league? Uh, he may well be. I did not even consider that as a stat. As a, my guy. As a defenseman, though, I mean, he's on the ice a lot, and this is for a team that's not a powerhouse offensively. And he is. Uh, no, my apologies. There is one person. He's tied with his teammate Dougie. They're both a plus thirty, but there is one defenseman ahead of them. And I actually considered this guy till I saw how many goals he scored. But yeah, Ryan Graves is actually a plus forty in Colorado. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was expecting a little bit more reaction, but wow will do. But wow. Ah, yeah, it's and. Yeah, Slavin is just like I said. We always talked about the, the Nashville defense, especially a couple of years ago. And I always, I always said back then that the one up-and-coming defense that might have been as good as that one was the Carolina defense. Yes, they've traded away a couple of pieces since then, but it's still strong. And with Slavin leading the way, so I got no complaints about that guy. Absolutely not. Uh, my so la- who's your number three? My number three. Well, I thought long and hard about this because there were some wonderful I'm names. Sure what? I'm sure you did. I did. But ultimately it came down to, well, I had to pick the Portuguese. And I know we're not supposed to use that term, but I'm Portuguese. So uh, the Portuguese player that I have chosen, yes, he's won. He, he's won a Norris Trophy. Uh, yes, he's the heartbeat of his team. Yes, he does not like Matthew Kachuk at all. His name is Drew Doughty. <laughs> and I'm sorry, if I can't have Tory Krug because he scored too many goals, I want another defenseman who can rush the puck as well as shoot the puck from 60 feet, from whatever it is, 40, 50 feet away, wherever the blue line is. Yeah, this is a guy who he plays half an hour a night or close to it. He scores goals. He's he's not afraid of contact. He's not afraid of fighting. He's not afraid of anyone as far as I can tell. And yet he still has the ability to to move in the slot area like a forward and put the puck in the back of the net. So I think he's a great compliment. The only question you might have is, is that too much uh, too much attitude on the ice at the same time if you have both Doughty and Marshan? <laughs> see, I one of the reasons I didn't go with Doughty, because I did obviously see his name while I was going through it, I'm not sure he's as speedy as, uh, as Slavin or Fox. Not anymore. I don't think he is, but... Like Riley Smith, he still has the ability to weave his way through traffic. Uh, 
Now there's not as much traffic in a three-on-three. I get that. But you watch Tory Krug and he starts his rush from just outside the blue line and suddenly he's past both defensemen. I'm not expecting that out of Doughty. But at the same point in time, this is a guy who can still maneuver and then he has the ability to dish off to a Marchand or a JT Miller. And we're talking about three guys who can handle the puck and at some point one of them is going to put it in. Interesting. Okay, so we are going to take these three teams, um, or these four teams, rather, of three-on-three, and we're going to post them to Twitter. Uh, It's going to be this week's Twitter poll. Um, You can vote on which of these four teams you like best. Um, It will be be stuck to my profile until next week. Um, So get out there and uh, tell us what you think. Obviously, if you uh, at the same time you want want us to discuss something on next week's show, perfect time to tweet it at me. I will get it into the notes. Um, Let's see. We just talked about Tory Krug, and I think we need to talk about Tory Krug a little tiny bit more because uh, of a number of reasons. Um, One, uh, he was talking about resuming the season and mentioned. He mentioned an option that I hadn't mm-hmm. heard discussed that I really think is interesting. Okay. Um, and I also think uh, that there's a another option that needs to be discussed um, as far as the playoff format. Um, we, we all know that if we end up playing, if they end up playing games in July, the ice is going to be awful. People are going to get hurt. Uh, on routine plays. Um, uh, Boston Bruins tweeted out a video chat with Tory Krug, who's uh, recovered from his injury and is spending time with the in-laws out in Michigan. Um, he says he's not cleared for play yet. Uh, a couple of things he has to do when uh, things get back, but he does think he has recovered, which is awesome. Um, it's the bit of good news that, uh, Krug, Michigan, and uh, and Bruins fans all wanted to hear. Um, one of the things that he mentioned was neutral site games with uh, players gathered uh, potentially without uh, audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually think that if you're going to do it without the without the return or without the um, return of fans to the games, that neutral site is probably a really smart option. You're going to limit traffic. Uh, you're going to limit air travel and uh, potential exposure, both for the players and anyone else in the airports. Um, there were a handful of players um, back in March who were diagnosed. Um, well, I, I actually have heard this, but only in mention with the baseball as far as, oh, by the way, as far as Tory Crew goes, I only have two words for that. Sign him. Okay. Moving on. Uh, yeah, baseball, they're talking about doing it where they have all the games in Arizona, neutral location, except for maybe Arizona Diamondbacks who play in Arizona. Yep. But it. The issue becomes 
how do you hold up the social distancing aspect of it? Because uh, there was an article by Larry Brooks, and I didn't put it on the show because I thought it was a little heavy. But they don't have – they're not going to move where the benches currently are to opposite ends of the ice. You can't have guys – if you're following social distancing guidelines, you're going to have to put the players in the stands to keep them six feet apart, which is something they discussed in baseball. But you can do that. Unfortunately, in hockey, with line changes being what they are, how do you have players sitting six feet apart trying to get down to the ice to get on the ice? I mean, theoretically, the only way you could do it is have them leave their skate guards on until they get close to the ice, have someone there or have them take them off before they step on and uh, maybe have them coming out of the hallways. But I think I think what you're going to have to do is test all the players. Anyone cleared can play. Anyone who's not, uh, who's, who's showing infection cannot play until mm-hmm. they're, until they're 48 hours clear or 72 hours clear, whichever, uh, medical standard is relevant. Um, and, uh, if they're clear, you know, throw them on the bench and don't worry about it. Okay. Um, because testing is the best that you can do. Um, I I think that that logistically, you know, if you have if you have, you know, two or three stations for the teams to come in, uh, it's not a difficult test. Uh, there's three or four different. Um, well, there's three or four different tests that will get you results in under 48 hours. Um, so maybe you do it that way. Uh, you have the teams roll in over a week. He mentioned that given how long this delay has been, you're going to need a mini training camp. Um, there was know, a yeah, there was a, a as long as 14 days. You're going to need some. You can't just plop them back on the ice and expect no. them to be game ready, even if they have been working out on their own. Which most of them have not. They're not going to be at game speed. Um, and and also, they talked to Don. Actually, Don Sweeney did a, a little uh, video chat session, I guess where he talked about having the ability for the players to just come back if they suddenly decide to reinvigorate the season. Um, one of the, uh, one of the issues or one of the things that might actually make the mini training camp, the isolation on neutral site more viable. If you mm-hmm. stack the schedule um, so that the team's coming in first are the first back in action. You'd get everyone tested. Um, you give them the 14 days, you know, you have, say you have four teams come in a day. If you're going to resume with all 31 teams, um, you have time, you know, you have the first team, you know, they're 28, 30 guys, uh, plus coaches, get them all tested, send them to individual rooms in the hotels, um, and room service only, um, until at least until they're cleared and then, uh, get them back to once everyone's cleared, they can start taking the ice. Uh, the teams that came in on day one, uh, they're going to be the, they're going to play in the first games of the preseason, you know, two or three really, int- really quick scrimmage games. And then back to the regular season before you jump into the playoffs, or if you're jumping into the playoffs, I had an idea for that, which some people are going to hate. 
uh, simply because it's not traditional. <laughs> and some okay. people are going to love because it means more hockey and less July hockey. Yeah, and, and as I – that's – Or worse, August hockey. I mean because I have – there is no place in the country or in the U.S. or Canada where you could play hockey in August and have reasonable and have reasonable eyes. As I and I said that first back in a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. At least the the concept of hockey played on ice, it, it completely makes it different from every other sport that you can play Therm- thermally. You cannot have ice in the summertime you can well you can, here's the, you freeze you freeze the ice but then you got to turn inside the building down to minus 10 degrees because the 90 degree day outside is thermally going to melt the ice inside the building the buildings <laughs> are fairly well insulated and i think that if they're doing it with no fans in august which please 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 let it not be but uh the difference between having 15 to 22,000 people in the building providing their body heat mm-hmm. um, plus the even casual heat of uh, casual additional heat of electronic devices, cell phones, cameras, uh, all that other funness. Um, I think that it's slightly more viable, but I don't want to see it happen. Um, normally the first round takes almost to, it takes 10 days. If it's if you're ten twelve or more than ten days, if you're playing all seven games. So is this your plan for the playoffs? Here is my plan. Okay, I'm writing it down. Mike's plan for playoffs. Round one, if you're playing neutral site or if you're whether it's either neutral site or you're just playing it um, as normally formatted, the two two um, one or the two two whatever it is. Uh, format two two one 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 yeah double headers first round you play game <laughs> two. no i'm sorry that, sorry that slipped out 10 a.m start for the first game 7 p.m start for the second game um you can get in two full games it's the playoffs i i think for this reason i'm, I'm uh, in the circumstances it, hold on in the circumstances you can add two additional forwards and an additional defenseman to your roster for the games um, to allow more moderated ice time and for covering of injuries. Um, Yes, it's a very big change for hockey, Um, but I think that I think the potential for injury is lower than when you're fresher out of, out of the resume training camp than it is, by having players play into July and August on ice that is going to be markedly worse. Mm-hmm. And realize, so first round, double headers. You realize, round, they play, you realize they play double headers in baseball because it's not a physical sport. I understand that. Okay. But we're talking hockey players who are actually athletes versus baseball players who are guys who play a sport. Ouch. Moving um, on, get attacked. <laughs> second round, and this is this is again to save time. You play mm-hmm. them back to back. You play games one and two back to back. You have the day off for travel. 
uh, if you're going to travel or not, just so that you know players what if can you're rest. Going East coast, West Coast, or West Coast, East Coast, or whatever. For the, we're talking only the first and second rounds. So, so this is you know, no longer playoffs. This is just attrition. The playoffs are by definition attrition. Yeah, the but they're attrition. They're attrition of, without. They're attrition without torture. Now you've added the guys in the had a full element. month rest at this point. <laughs> And okay. given given how short the travel distances are in the Eastern Conference, even I mean even Montreal to even Montreal to what is it? Um, I'm not worried about Montreal. Is short. I'm, not, I'm not worried about Mo- Montreal Bottom. to Tampa Bay. It, that's not my concern. You're still in the same same time zone. My concern is when you start changing time zones and I'm bodies haven't adjusted yet. Shortening. I'm only talking about shortening uh, the format for the first two rounds. Okay. Rounds uh, the the conference finals, the Stanley Cup finals, you play them as normal. But those first two rounds, shorten them up, take them from taking almost two weeks each to down to maybe three weeks total. And I think that that's a valuable way uh, of saving time and preserving and preserving the format. And not having an asterisk or an asterisk on the win because you decided to only play the top, have the top eight teams play in the playoffs versus all 16. Okay, fair enough. So I have questions. You can take notes if you want to. Go for it. Um, are we? Is this is this in lieu of? Are we just coming back and going right into playoffs, or are we coming back and finishing the season? I just, I don't know. If it were up to me, given because how late if, this has gone, I would. If I were John Chaka, I'd be pissed. <laughs> if, yes, if I'm John Chaka and they jump straight into the playoffs from here, I am annoyed and I make my annoyance known. Because I play in the really Western loudly, Really, really loudly mm-hmm. all summer. And I make sure that every single player in my roster when the next season opens is even more annoyed and try and light that fire and make sure that they go out and get at it because I'm not sure the coyotes played their best hockey consistently all year. We know Phil Kessel has not played his best hockey. He has not physically slowed down enough for this year to be his best hockey. He has for what, for all of his faults as a player, he has not fallen far enough for 14 goals in 70 games to be his best hockey. Um, I agree. They've also I, been without their number one goaltender for a good portion of the season and their backup goaltender. And I don't think that 9, 21, and 30 are OEL's best hockey. Um, I think that there's absolutely another gear for those guys. I think that for Taylor Hall, Taylor Hall played about as well as you could expect. I mean, 27 points in 35 games on a brand new team in a different uh, going back to the Western conference and that travel um, that translates pretty nicely to, you know, 70 points or so over 82 games. Um, it's not his best year. It's not an MVP worthy year, but um, it's, it's reasonable uh, given that he was playing with, um, 
ECHL. But the player. argument there, it, it is even it is even so much. Yes, uh, we want to see better out of out of Kessel. I think there's still more there. It's not just Kessel. <clears throat> Excuse me. No, I believe that. But they're playing in the Western Conference. This is a this is a this is a Western Conference is terrible. The, the, and they're in the Pacific, and this is a division where the the number team in first place changes almost daily. <laughs> it, ta- <laughs> so it changes it, three or four times while games are being played. Uh, again, there you go. It, to my argument, at the end of the season, and they still have what a dozen games left. Most teams, mm-hmm. somewhere between well, say ten and thirteen. Games, yeah. Uh, this is a clearly they have an opportunity. Yes, they've been without Darcy Kemper most of the season, and uh, or a, a very good portion of it. And they were without Auntie Ranta for a good portion of the season, and they're still right there on the cusp. You give them a goaltender who is not out that long. You give them Darcy Kemper, who is what in top three, top three in the NHL in goaltending. Injuries hurt every team. Uh, yes, you don't I have to like it. I can't argue that, but yes. The Tampa Bay Lightning, if they if they had had a healthy Stamkos and other guys healthy this year, would they they'd certainly be higher in the standings. I just think that Tampa Bay is still going to make the, playoffs, but yes, and in the East there is a the, in the East there is a clear and definite haves and have nots, so to speak. Um, in the West, there is a in, have little in, and have not much. In the West, and and particularly in the Pacific, you can be in fourth place and still have a shot at it. <laughs> you can be in sixth place and still have a shot at it. I mean, if you're not a California team in the Pacific, you have a shot at it. There you go. You My legitimately point. have a shot at making the playoffs, and that division is. So yeah, so yes, if I'm Cheka at this particular point in time, if they decide to just take the teams that are in current position in the playoffs, if I were Cheka, I'd be very up- unhappy. Um, but could you necessarily blame the league? No, I, I and that's the thing. I can't blame them. They they want to get this on. They want to get this underway. You don't want to, as much as other leagues have done it, when. You don't want to end the season without a champion, and the NHL recognizes that. You don't want to end the season without a championship, and you want to get next season in full. You Like for the NHL, going into an expansion year, getting the full season is critical. And I, I mean, I, uh, we know I, I grew up here. I love the local team nearly as much as I love the sport itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily want to see them skip the last, the remaining games because there are guys who have personal marks to hit. Uh, Boston, you know, they're at a hundred points with 12 games left. Could they break 120 points in that time? Yeah, that's conceivable. Uh, I don't remember the last time, the Boston Bruins broke 120 points. I'm not, I'm not sure it's happened in the last decade. And that's the motor revving, trying to get my brain in gear and it's not working very well. (laughs) I just, I I mean, there's so many questions. I mean, I, I know they want to get, 
I know they want to get the the playoffs. They want to get a championship. You don't want to just hand somebody a trophy, though. You 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 want to make the playoffs. No, you don't. You, uh, hand it to somebody. You can hand someone the president's trophy, I guess. I mean, it's a regular season trophy, but it, in a lot of ways, to any established franchise, it's kind of meaningless. Um, it's one of those things that's nice to have, but it's really a stepping stone. Um, I think we've got time for one more, um, one more thing before we jump, uh, into, or before we, uh, sign off for the week. Um, do we want to talk, uh, about the guy moving on the fan vote? Um, the (laughs) thing, the guy moving on, I guess, isn't really a huge story. Um, it can wait. Uh, or do we want to talk about <clears throat> the greatest female player to come out of Europe? The greatest female player to come out of Europe. We might have to talk about that one because I don't know who that is. Uh, according to the IIHF, uh, Ms. Jenny Hirokowski, uh is the best player, uh, women's player to come out of uh, to come out of Europe. Um, to date, which is a big statement, according to the according to their uh, their story from a couple of days ago, they're number nine on their uh, on their countdown of uh, interesting hockey stories. Mm-hmm. She could make either the U.S. or Canadian women's teams and be a star. Really, that's <laughs> that's a staggering statement because. I've watched a lot of hockey over the last 10, 15 years. I've watched women's international hockey. Um, and quite frankly, the, the two, the U S and Canadian women's teams are head shoulders and other portions above the rest of women's hockey, uh, as teams. Um, part of it is physical stature. Part of it is um, just higher level of competition and training. But to say that someone could make either of those teams, that's that's eye-opening all by itself. Yeah. Uh, to say someone could make the teams and be a star, a star on one of those teams from a country that, quite frankly, at least in women's hockey – has wait, wait. not come to She is a quarterback on the power play. She's a defender. Um, skater, a uh, great skater. Apparently um, superior skating is also clear when she moves seamlessly forward or back in one stride. Caught out of position, she can make the transition and recover before. Who wrote this? <laughs> um, someone who is at least modestly impressed with her skills. Uh, you know what? Uh, Andrew Podniks uh, wrote this on the eighth. Um, uh-huh. You know what? The you know what most surprises me about this story is she draft eligible? <laughs> not quite. You know what most surprises me about this story? What's that? It's not actually a surprise when you think about it. Oh, okay. Finland, in the last seven or eight years, has turned out. So many really good NHL players. They have really, really good NHL players mm-hmm. that it would be astounding 
for them not to have sisters, cousins, roommates, I'm not, whatever, I'm, that I'm not had equal, that. equal athleticism. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. I'm not saying that they don't have fabulous women hockey players. I have no doubt that she's extremely talented, but it's just amazing to me that at some point, at some point along the way, we should have heard of this woman before now. Yes, uh, we probably should have. uh, We probably should have taken note of her, um, but I don't think that. uh, Let's see. So she was. She was 17 at the 2004 Worlds in Dartmouth, uh, Nova Scotia. So she's 33, 34 now? Yeah, I mean, that's... I know that women's hockey does not get press here. Um, and that foreign women's hockey is... It, it essentially doesn't exist, but wow. Um, well, this is another argument for why we need a women's NHL, because players like this should have... Some place. Ten years. She should be ten or fifteen years into an NHL, uh, into a major league women's hockey career. Yes. And she should have much more recognition than she does. And and I'm not disagreeing with Podny with with Mr. Podnyx or however. And, and I apologize if I'm butchering his name, but Andrew Podnyx uh, writes this glowing story, and it. She sounds fabulous. I'd have to go do a little research and and see if I can find some video. But, wow, yeah, this is somebody who, if all of this is true and there's no no literary license taken to make her sound that much more so, she sounds fabulous. I want to go watch some video and see. But she needs – if that's the case, then yes, it's another argument for having a league where somebody of this talent can show it off. And, you know, I'm going to say something I haven't said since uh, in, oh gosh, 10 years about hockey. Mm-hmm. This is the type of thing that deserves a North American, a, a league that spans North America and Europe. I think that's honestly the best way to kick off development. Uh, uh, of women's hockey and recognition of women's hockey. If you have, if say you start out with six teams in North America, eight teams in North America, wherever they are, they play the majority of their games here. You have another eight teams or six teams, whatever it is, somewhere in Europe. They play the majority of their teams there. Each uh, the North American the two North American divisions or one North American division. Uh, I would, if I were going with eight, I would go four and four in North America for divisions and four and four in Europe for divisions. Um, The North American uh, teams each play half of the European teams, one or two long tours. Uh, The European teams come over here and play half of the North American teams uh, so you're not putting too much strain on travel, not too much expense for a young league. But is that, and, being, is that being done in, in a particular time? It's it's not like the NHL as it's currently made up where you play you know, with only three time zones. Now you're talking about crossing an ocean. You're talking about five, you're talking about five, six hour time differences. Oh, so you're talking you'd have to, hour time differences. I mean. If, assuming that you start that you went from Moscow to 
I, so you're talking about a true global you draw a line down the down the middle of the of the continent and call NHL. it Chicago, uh, Chicago, Dallas as the furthest west points in, in in North America. Yeah, you're you're still talking fifteen. Uh, you're still talking twelve or so hours of this time is, difference. This is radical stuff. You're talking about a truly global NHL. A truly global women's hockey league as the best way to kickstart that sport. Yes, I am. Wow. Okay. I'm not against it because I hockey is hockey. I love watching it. We've gone to we've gone to USA Canada and and outside of again, don't like to harp on it, but the line change thing. But. Um, that was hilarious. I mean, as was, long as as long as you're within, I don't know, the hockey <laughs> rink, building, yeah, <laughs> line changes are okay. Um, but other than that, and and yes, it was a it was a somewhat tournament. There were like six or seven games, and and they played out leading up to the Olympics. But it was enjoyable hockey, and it was competitive. And if you go watch those girls, the USA and Canada play for the gold medal. What was it uh, two years ago? Yeah. Um, yeah, they take it very seriously. It's not like this is some kind of, it is enjoyable. It is competitive. They hit it. it, it I don't have a whole lot of complaints about it at all. I don't have, it's, it's a radical idea, but I think that you have to change the paradigm in order to get ahead. Uh, the old marvelous little cliche that I adore is, uh, you can't uh, – if you're not the lead dog, the view never changes. And until you have a reason for women's hockey – or until you can differentiate women's hockey from all the men's sports and the other women's sports in North America or Europe for that matter, you're not going to gain traction. The fact that you're only seeing the best players in Europe or the best European teams – um, twice a year or four times a year or whatever it comes down to is huge. And it's a deeper talent pool. It's a deeper talent pool right from the start. Yeah. If you have that 16 team league to start to kick things off, you have, you have multiple avenues of marketing. You have multiple personalities. Uh, you can purchase, advertising at better rates by doing so in major multiple major markets at once. Um, if you can hammer out a really good uh, streaming, streaming service. Uh, that's so that people that's see streaming the right there. It, it was, it was. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, I think we're at the end of the show. Um, all of you have a great week and we will have still more hockey and not the other thing to talk about next week. Stay healthy. Wash your hands. Take care.